Welcome to The Brew, a podcast series which deep dives into trending topics about business and culture. Now sit back and join in on the conversation over a cup of freshly brewed coffee. Welcome to The Brew. I'm your host, Walter Salamaki. Today, I'm joined by the managing partner of Free Lodger. We've got Luis up in the house. I uh, hope everybody Hi, had everybody. a fantastic uh, New Year's, even though that democracy was fell like three days ago. But aside from that, uh, today we have a great conversation uh, talking about something that has been kind of boiled out of perspective over the last couple of years. Uh, we're going to be talking about public policy and uh, why you should care and understand it especially whether you are somebody who is a worker or you are somebody who is trying to build a business because public policy is going to impact you. And there's a lot of uh, false understanding what is going on when it comes to public policy, how it's created, what is the impact of it. And today we're going to try to demystify it and talk about it in a very simple sense. Um, We're going to be starting today with the conversation around what the concept of public policy is. But before we go into that, just want to do a little quick check in with you, Luis. How was your New Year's? How was your Christmas time? Um, sad, alone. Uh, you know, just about that. No, it, it was good. It, it was, uh, I mean, as good as it could be for 2021. Uh, me and my wife, uh, we stayed in uh, and just kind of did our own thing. That's really it. It was, a, it, it was pretty funny, at least. For Christmas, we were just like, I'm, I'm Mexican, so I celebrate Mexican Christmas. So at midnight of the 24th is when we open our presents um so we did that and then um for new year's uh we just ended up staying up until midnight and like we cooked a midnight dinner like we just like we i think we made like a filet like a filet mignon and i i like handmade like dinner rolls um and that was really it that was then we woke up the next day and we didn't drink a lot so it's like it w- was it really a New Year's? You know, if if I'm not in a foreign city, just plastered out of my mind, probably not. But ne- next year, hopefully, you know. Yep, next year, hopefully. I mean, say with me. I mean, my New Year's. This was the first year that I didn't even realize that uh, it was past midnight. I was literally just playing Warzone. Mm-hmm. I was just so bored. I had nothing else to do. Uh, yeah. This is the first time I wasn't like out of the bars or at my friends' places or something like that. Just uh, doing some hooligan stuff. But you know. Back to the grind. We're in the new year. We have a lot of stuff going on when it comes to free logic. But going into yeah. today's conversation, um, as, as we brought up, we really want to talk about public policy because there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. We've gotten to the point when it comes to uh, U.S. politics overall, where it just goes one party over the other party. And it's there's just nonstop fighting, but there's no understanding of the policy that's being created and why that really matters. Um, so to get started, um, one thing I want to do is be able to explain what is public policy. Um, public policy, um, once again, as I brought up, whether you're a worker or if you're trying to build a business, you have to understand it uh, because it will be impacting you. But public policy overall is when there's something that's going on in the markets um, and there has to be kind of government regulation or laws that are created to either solve or regulate that problem. Um, Sometimes it can be done in a, in a good way and there's good impacts from it. Sometimes there's negative impacts from it. And that's why over the last course of four years, there's been a lot of deregulation. So a lot of public policies that have been created to solve certain problems have been actually stripped away. 
Um, and at the same time, new policies have come into act, like, for example, um, Trump's Tax Act and how that's changed when it comes to how you, you pay your taxes and how um, companies are able to grow and prosper, because there's a difference in under understanding and ideologies between liberal and conservative fundamentals. Um, and it's important to understand before we go into anything today that there is two understandings of how to do things. One side is not better or worse than the other. And that's where there has to be conversations to come to the best conclusion per problem and how to solve it versus just saying that one way works and one way does not. And that's one thing we really want to come from the brew is um, getting back to this discourse, having these conversations about how these public uh, policies are being created. What is the impact to you personally and why you should really care about it? Um, the first one that we wanted to get started with today um, is going to be Prop 22. So Prop 22, we, we covered it before uh, and we've talked about it. But before we go into the details of Prop 22, Luis, can you define to me what Prop 22 was in like 45 seconds so we can get a quick taste of what that policy is? Lordy, Lordy, what was it, Prop 22? <laughs> okay, so Prop 22, I'll try to do it under 30 seconds. So I'll be a little quicker than what you want. Um, so Prop 22 basically was a proposition in California where um, gig economies, specifically, um, I think the ones that were kind of against this were uh, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, um, and to some extent Airbnb, but those are the three big ones. Um, where they would have to identify anybody using the application to make money, aka employees, as actual employees of the company and not like sole um, independent contractors. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's what Prop 22 was. A vote in favor for Prop 22, I believe, would have made the independent workers uh, employees and against it would have made them stay as independent contractors. That in a nutshell is Prop 22. Perfect. And to kind of talk about the arguments on both sides of the equation before we kind of go about what is the actual impact and, and what happened with it, um, it's important to understand the, the two approaches for it. So the reason why the conversation around Prop 22 came is because the way that companies like Uber, Lyft, uh, DoorDash uh, have been created is through something called the gig economy, which I'll define later as I'll go into details about it. Um, but the conversation there is that um, there, there's a need in the market for convenience. Uh, we want things delivered to us or we want to be able to transport from place to place. Things like taxis in the past were very inefficient. They're very expensive. Uber and Lyft came about and it allowed for employment opportunities for individuals. Well, then over time, those individuals made that their actual job. Like they were making like they were doing the 30 hours to 40 hours a week, being a Lyft driver, being an Uber driver and providing value to these companies. But these companies also weren't providing the benefits of being a full-time worker. So you were still doing all this work, but without any of the benefits. Um, the argument here on both sides is that without um, them becoming full-time workers, more people can become drivers. There's more economic output. The free markets allow individuals to uh, choose. It's a, it's a choosing game that I can choose to be a driver and make more money on the side, provide disposable income. So if I was just doing it a couple hours a week, I can make a couple extra hundred bucks from just being a driver. Um, but then the argument on the other hand of it is that, okay, well, if I'm driving here full time, providing value for this uh, organization, I should be treated as an actual employee versus being just a freelance driver um, that doesn't get any benefits. What actually happened, Luis? What happened to this policy? When just for... <laughs> <laughs> how, uh... <laughs> how, um... what, what didn't happen, man? It's, it is, it, it's a big, like, really crappy game of I told you so. 
um, when it comes to what ended up happening with Prop 22 and the outcomes um, that we're seeing because of it. Uh, so thanks to um, thanks to a lot of money uh, given to special interests uh, by uh, the three companies that we brought up before. So because of uh, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash, mm-hmm. um, just pumping just millions and millions of dollars in- into the opposition campaign for this proposition, um, it failed. It didn't pass California. So that means that uh, the people who are using the application stay as independent contractors um, and Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash do not have to take any responsibility for benefits, uh, really anything that would come from treating these people as employees. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just independent contractors. So they, whatever, that's, they're doing this on their own time. There's no liability on the company side. Um, so um, what we're seeing now um, and what, I mean, I'll, I'll speak on the on the bigger one here, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that just came out is, I believe it's Vons and Albertsons. And I, I think it was Nick who brought it up uh, in our in our chat, but uh, Albertsons and, and Vons, they are taking away their delivery drivers and replacing them uh, with gig economy workers. Uh, I forget which service exactly. Uh, DoorDash. DoorDash. Uh, so they're replacing their own internal workers who would have benefits and have all these sort of things and hours and miles, uh, all this would kind of get paid for. And instead they're choosing to go with, um, with DoorDash who they don't have to do anything besides just kind of give them the material. Uh, it's a, it's a partnership with another company, meaning that they're not paying those employees at all. Now it's just, they are now, it's a, you know, it's just DoorDash saying, okay, well, we'll just deliver everything for you. Um, so what ends up happening there is those delivery drivers, maybe that was how they were making money, gone, maybe fired, depending on if they can't find a new position for them to um, to be within the actual stores themselves, the, the actual supermarkets. Um, so uh, people who maybe were, were the main breadwinners for a household, just gone, uh, potentially, again, this is worst case. I'm sure some people were fortunate enough to uh, be repositioned in the companies. Mm-hmm. Um but what ends up happening is now you you start to you're, you're slowly diminishing um, the kind of power of the worker at the end of the day, uh, and this this really cuts into um, uh, Prop Twenty Two. Why it's so bad? Uh, well, no, why the opposition is so bad to Prop Twenty Two, um, and, and really the outcomes. Of what you're going to see here because it's like I don't know, man. It's it, it's very easy to like. And they did a good job, and I hate to say it, but the the opposition campaigns did a good job of having all those ads run 24-7 on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. Um, and having that, drivers the ones that are the ones talking about, like, this is what how it benefits me personally by still yeah. being a driver for Uber, Lyft, and how I don't want it to become um, where it's a full-time gig. Well, I'm actually glad you brought that up because what they the way they went about that is it was when you t- – I mean – I, I would say that you are the voice of ethics uh, here, mainly because it's, you know, you were a I TA for an ethics class. Yeah, like <laughs> you taught it. Um, uh, and what they did and the way that they went about getting their data and the way that they went about showcasing workers and how they are pro, they are uh, they are for keeping it as an independent contractor. The way they went about this was, I think, pretty slimy. I think slimy is is, a, is the safest word I can use for it. Um, if you are uh, if you were a delivery driver, a DoorDash driver, any kind of uh, Uber, Lyft, whatever it was, um, when you opened your app, uh, it would prompt you to say, 
um, you know, basically you had to, you had to select one of two prompts and both prompts were basically a yes. So basically it was like, um, will you stand against prop 22, um, and continue using the app? There was no exit. There was no dismiss. It was, you had in order to use the app in order to make money, you had to select one of the two options and the two options were, were still yes on the company. Yes. I'm opposed to this. And, and I forget what the other one was, but it, it was like, yes, I'm opposed to this, or maybe even like, um, I, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not for the prop 22 or something like that, you know? Um, so then they use that data in the commercials. Um, that was just like 80 something percent of our drivers, uh, agree, uh, that prop 22 should not pass. Um, which again, it's they're they're they purposefully led, um, these are leading questions as yep. we call them in the research community. These are questions that you are, you are, there's only one path they can take and you've designed it that way in order for you to get the answers and the outcomes that you, that you want and to make your business look a little bit better. Yeah. Disinformation, money, uh, this was, this was all they really needed, uh, to, to flip it and, uh, to get it over with. And, um, I don't know, man, it's, it, it's, it's bad. Uh, with Prop 22 going and it's it's funny to see now that things are actually happening that uh, Prop 22 would have not allowed uh, you know they're happening now and, and people are now realizing like oh maybe maybe this wasn't as good as it was we're having California's having its own little mini um, mini Brexit moment where maybe the people who voted against it didn't actually know what they were voting for and just saw the ads on TV and said, yep, that's, that's, that's all the information I need. I'm not going to look into this any further. Um, and that, that is, uh, unfortunate. It's, it's really, really sad. Um, this is kind of, uh, not related to this in, in a lot of ways, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you've, you've seen this statistic, Val. I saw it today, mm -hmm. uh, this morning when I was, when I was just looking some stuff up, you know, doom scrolling on Twitter as I, as I do in the morning. Um, so I, I saw that. Um, I think it was Insider, Business Insider that did this. Um, as far as impact goes, television still has the biggest impact on voter choice yep. um, by 51%. So all other like social media, newspaper, uh, display ads, billboards, like all these other medium, mediums don't even come close to the impact that a television ad has. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that a lot of these kind of people leverage is like really shitty, like television ads that push people towards a specific thing. And it's just, it's not, not okay. Yeah. And I, I think an important part to that, and, and this is why I really want to talk about public policy and how it's created is um, public policy. Once again, has an aim it's, it's using government regulation or laws to have an objective and uh, in, in creating a positive impact. You might disagree with how that positive impact is going to come to life and why they're focusing on it. But public policy does not come out unless there is an, a situation or a problem that they think that there needs a certain level of regulation to be able to solve that problem. Um, and usually what you're going to be seeing in any situation when um, whether you agree or disagree with what that policy is, you're going to see something called asymmetrical asymmetrical information. That That's the terminology for it. So what asymmetrical information is, is when you what exactly uber did which is they're going to push all the information on one side and provide you only one lens of the equation that creates public trust for that one side of the equation that then pushes against the rest of it 
Um, so in this situation, as you brought up, by creating social credibility and saying that 80% of drivers agree with this policy, automatically your sentiment's gonna go towards, this is great, they agree with it, this is who it's supposed to be impacting, yeah. it's perfectly fine, uh, I don't need to look for more information than that. And that's the unfortunate reality when public policy is being created. And that's why you have to look at what is the underlying reasoning why they're doing these kinds of things. Um, on the argument, once again, for why they didn't want Prop 22 to go by is because the argument in, in conservative politics is free markets. You, you want the markets to be able to control the situation. And by opening up the market, what happens in that situation is that more people can prosper. Um, and what we're talking about right here is, okay, the impact of it. So if the impact was you're going to provide more prosperity for people, we are already seen the negative consequences of that by reducing workforce from certain parties, because for a company, profits matter most. And for Vons, Albertsons, it's an easy decision. If you have yeah. that ability, like it's, it's not to the fall of Vons and Albertsons. If the market allows you to do that opportunity to say, okay, let's cut workers here. And it costs us less money to be creating a partnership with DoorDash because the underlying cost is just not as high because you don't have any other cost to it and you can just write it off. You have no payroll tax or anything else to it. Um, it just makes sense. It's more convenient for the people that are getting the food, uh, that are getting delivered, all these kinds of factors to it. So that's the one element that you have to see when you're looking at public policy. And and the one, once again, the one reason why we're talking about this today is because we want to get people away from the norm of like, this is a Democrat idea, or this is a Republican idea. And this is what I want to stick to this party. Look at the underlying roots of what that policy is being created, and whether you agree with the underlying roots of it. Don't look at who the person is that created it. Look at the public policy and the impact on the market. Um, but go, going back into kind of what you brought up, um, when it comes to this appeal, one thing I want to kind of hear from you that um, allows the details, like what is the difference between a uh, liberal um, and conservative uh, policy making? I, I brought it up slightly, but if you could provide kind of like the difference so people can understand what is a liberal policy versus what is conservative policy, because it has gotten so misconstrued over yeah. time. Yeah, I think even there, there's a third player to this nowadays, where now you have a conservative policy, you have a liberal policy, which I think is more the middle now. Uh, and then you have a progressive policy. So now you have, um, you know, the right being conservative, the middle being a liberal policy, and now the left being a progressive policy. Um, in my opinion, what it is defined is conservative policy is a policy that um, focuses entirely on traditional business uh, sort of aspects, right? So traditional business conservative policies, if the policy impacts the business in a positive way, regardless of the other sort of um, outcomes, cool, let's do that. Because business makes more money, trickle down. Business makes more money, employees make more money, economy gets bigger. That's the idea of conservative policy. Uh, liberal policy kind of takes an approach of like, of that, but kind of tones it down a little bit and says, okay, maybe these corporations shouldn't have unlimited resources uh, allotted to them and shouldn't have complete free reign over everything. Maybe there should be some parameters in place um, that roadblock them from, from doing X, Y, or Z that might put the employees in a really bad spot and instead maybe put them in, in a, a better spot than they would be with just a conservative policy. Then you have a progressive policy. Progressive policy is entirely person focused. Uh, it's, a, it's a focus on not no longer the corporation solely, but now the aspects and the actual intricacies of the corporation. So now you're looking at the people, you're looking at what makes it actually tick. Uh, you're looking at policies that now affect the person, that then affects the corporation, that then affects the economy. 
you're not looking at it. It's a complete inverse of, of the conservative policy. It doesn't go from corporation to employee to economy. Now it goes from uh, employee to corporation to economy. Uh, that to me is, is a breakdown of those three policies. Got it. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'll add just, just as the educational aspect for the definition, just <laughs> taught this uh, for the conservative side. Yeah. It's hundred percent believing in free markets, right? So it's believing mm -hmm. that you don't need any government in intervention. The, the people are smart enough to make the decisions and the market will react to it. And it opens up for more prosperity. As you brought up, it's, it's kind of this approach where, okay, if the markets were free, these companies can decide what they do. The, the workers of the companies can choose where they want to work at. Um, and if, if you don't regulate these things, it'll eventually solve out. The, the, if there's a problem, the market, the, the corporations and the companies are able to solve those problems. Then yeah. you got the, the liberal politics or the liberal, liberal policies, which is focused on, okay, government does need to intervene because there's these gaps that occur. And if these gaps don't be fixed, the free markets just cannot solve those problems. That's where then the ideologies of Democrat versus progressive versus um, Republican comes into fact. So when you hear something that might be like, for example, Democrats believe in both conservative and liberal policies. And that's mm -hmm. a mistake that a lot of people have. Progressive believe very heavily on liberal uh, policies and then Republicans heavily on conservative policies. So if you ever hear your friends and they're arguing back and forth that like, like, for example, Democrats are somehow socialists and all these kinds of things. That's far from the truth because Democrats generally are more centralist. They believe in both conservative as well as liberal policies. Progressive tend to lean more on liberal, but they also do believe in some conservative ideologies. Um, but all the way on the far end, Republicans do also see that there is some government intervention, but they want to be as like minimal as possible. And then you have libertarians. And libertarians want zero government intervention. They believe 100% in conservative ideologies. They believe that the government should not intervene. So as you understand, there's intricacies. It's complicated. It's not as simple as one side versus the other. And I think that is one obviously big issue that's happened in the last four years is we've gotten to the point where people believe that there's only two parties or two ideologies yeah. in your one bucket or the other. And like for me personally, I think that you should look at each policy one by one, whether you agree with it or disagree with it versus looking at this is my political party. I'm going to stay true to it no matter what, um, because there are some times when I believe that things are a little bit too uh, progressive leaning. I'm very progressive myself, but there's sometimes when it's very progressive leaning. And I believe that a lot of times in the last four years, it's gone to the point where it's way too conservative leaning um, and the, the policies themselves um, are just relying on the markets. Um, which does create prosperity, but it does create a wage gap and it creates economic disparity. It creates this inequality that happens in the United States and there's a bunch of data to support both sides of it. But one thing I'm, I'm very curious to kind of um, hear from you is like, okay, Prop 22 didn't pass, right? Um, Unfortunately the, not, no. <laughs> it did not, it not pass. I think the one thing that's interesting to me is that it's very hard to make regulations around the gig economy. Um, so for those that don't know, the gig economy is focused on mainly freelancers. You've heard that terminology. Mm -hmm. um, and what the gig economy is, is that you as an individual can do short term uh, work, contract work for a company. Yeah. So instead of it having to rely on you being a full time laborer for a company, um, you can do short term work, which I actually have a lot. I see a lot of value there because it doesn't make sense for some companies no, yeah. to hire like full time workers for certain things. And you should focus on productivity and skill set versus like the contractual agreement for long term. However, there are the negative repercussions because some markets don't make sense to so, have the gig economy. So, so, I, I, so, so could, could you 
to, to put the ball in your court. Could you, in like 45 seconds, define the gig economy for like someone who doesn't actually know what the gig economy might be? A very yeah, quick one. Yeah, of course. So the gig economy overall is if an individual wants to do short-term gigs, that's why it's called the gig economy, uh, for a company, and it's a short-term contract and allows you to bounce around different organizations or companies and provide your skill set to create a reward of income. Um, so you're not relying on one source of income. You can do it from multiple different uh, sources, but it's not a long-term agreement that you have with any company or any organization. That is the focus of the gig economy, which has a lot of value for creatives, um, but certain markets, gig economy just does not work. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much nail on the head when it comes to gig economy. Um, I, I think, go. I mean, dipping back into, I, I don't want to stick on this too much, but I, I, I do want to say when it comes down to this thing, um, it's this, uh, it's, it's, I, you know, it's funny is, is growing up you, at least for me, like I always heard that the way that your brain grows, right. It's like when, like before you're 18, you don't really know what your political preference is. You just kind of base it off of what your parents mm -hmm. political preferences are. Right. But then when you turn 18, you start to identify yourself. And normally what people say is like, oh, when they go off to college, they become liberals. And then, and then slowly as you start working, um you supposedly the old adage goes that you start to become more conservative as you see your as you see your wealth and your money grow mm. you start to take on more conservative approaches to things because you don't want to lose any of that newly found wealth or uh, or money that you have um i i think it's i think it's funny um looking at it from that perspective because i think i think if anything i i used to consider myself um a a uh, fiscal conservative early on in my in in my time um and as i've progressed um i have i i at this i mean at this point the joke is that i'm a communist but like I, at, uh but I'm, I'm not a communist but it's uh yeah, like i had to put the asterisk in there. yeah i'm not but um i say some good stuff in there though um but as uh as i've grown older i've I'm I'm so much more into like the idea of just being um, for people and on on the side of people that uh, it is it is it, it's funny to me looking at that uh, and, and I bring that up because you have you've had this mentality for a long time and about you can kind of you can kind of agree with me on this is we've had this mentality of like the first it was the minimum wage stuff right where it's like or, or like oh if if you don't like your job at if you if you don't think your job at McDonald's is paying you enough, then go get an actual job. Being that the theory was, oh, McDonald's was never supposed to be your career. McDonald's is supposed to be it's a, it's a, exactly it's a into the market. Exactly, it's it's always a stepping stone into into the market. It's never supposed to be your full time gig. You're supposed to start at a McDonald's when you're 16 years old, and then by 18 you're supposed to go to school, and then by 25 you're supposed to be a fiscal conservative. I guess mm -hmm. that's the uh, that's kind of the the turnaround time for that, right? Um, that mentality, and it, it's sad. First off, because now it, it it for one it it um it diminishes, and and I think is really just I, I'm not I can't think of the word right now, but it, it's it's just a, a shitty move for people who like th that's it. That's what they do. Like they are mm -hmm. they're working at Mickey D's for the rest of their life. Um, you you are then saying that because they ob in, uh, sub objectively in your mind, which is wrong, by the way, you think that because they're there and they shouldn't be there and that's not the final goal, um, they shouldn't get paid enough money to live. 
uh, and then they are not, they shouldn't really care. They should go look for something else and make more money. Yeah. That mentality has now brought itself into the gig economy, which is, I think, why Prop 22 was so important because it, it was going to allow these billion dollar companies um, to now have to pay people money. And I understand one of the big talking points is like, oh, well, some of these companies have never even turned a profit. It's like, geez, I wonder why, you know, like it, it, when they're when they're putting tens and hundreds of millions of dollars into an anti ad campaign um, mm. for so their business can 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 make more money. Um, I wonder I wonder how much of that could have gone towards uh, making them employees, you know, I, I digress. But I'm saying is it's this sad stuff where it's like, OK, well, the gig economy is now viewed in the same light that you saw um, people that used to work at McDonald's for full time, where it's like, yeah. oh, the gig economy is just supposed to be a stepping stone. It's supposed to be supplemental income. Um, but that's not the case. Um, when you have an industry that disrupts multiple industries, meaning that tap, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to wait 45 minutes uh, for a taxi or are you going to wait 10 minutes for an Uber mm -hmm. and then and pay twice as much money for a taxi? No, taxis are done. They're gone. Um, no one's going to get a taxi. It's not convenient anymore. Hell, I'm not going to get a taxi. And and I'm I'm anti Uber and Lyft. But if I'm at an airport and I need a ride, what am I going to do? You know, like I'm it's I'm not going to rent a car. Um, I'm going to get an Uber and a Lyft. Um, so it's it's when you disturb an industry like that, um, you have to you have to be okay and 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 realize that you need to help those people out. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that's kind of the, the the weird mentality that that's happening here is like that minimum wage argument of like, go work somewhere else has now come and trickled into the gig economy where it's just like, go get a full-time job or like, go get a better job if you don't like the money you're making here or it's too hard or, or it's too X, Y, or Z. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's super unfortunate um, that that is happening. Yeah. I mean, and, and to kind of bounce off that, it's important to understand um, where, like, for example, economic, uh, like, for example, uh, employment rates come from. Because of this, there's yeah. been able to skew numbers on employment rates as well, because if you are working in the gig economy and you technically have a job, you are considered employed, but you're not making enough money to sustain off of that. And of course, look, I, we're entrepreneurs. We understand the concept of free markets and why it's important. You need to have a free market to be able to create innovation and innovation creates prosperity. But there is also a, a downside of both both ideologies and you have to understand both because if you rely on like, okay, if you, you are guaranteed things no matter what, um, there is a lack of incentive to push forward. However, that does not mean that you should not be able to live. Like living should not be a conversation like in the, in like that's the whole conversation in the United States. We are the most prosperous uh, country in the world. Um, yet people are struggling to live. And this is where public policy itself, once again, it has an objective and an aim of reach. Um, and it's important to really understand what's underneath the underlying tone of it for that policy. So you can see what the overarching impact will be to you as a consumer and you as a business owner. So one, I think, important topic to that is the concept of lobbying. Um, lobbying exists, and it's honestly, it's very toxic in the United States. It does not exist in a lot of European countries and all these kinds of things. But one thing I would like you to uh, detail to me, Luis, is what is lobbying? You talk about old school lobbying or new school lobbying? Both. <laughs> <coughs> all right. Uh, lobbying in general is, uh, I, I think an example would, would work out best here. 
Um, but lobbying is this. Lobbying is, let's say that you um, you wanted something to get done. Your company, your organization, right? You, you tell me, hey, um, this Prop 22 thing, it's going to be really bad for my business. Um, California can't pass this. Um, I and you as the company, you don't you can't directly go and talk to Congress people and all this stuff. So what you do with me, I'm a lobbyist. I know people in Congress. I know people everywhere. I have a lot of connections politically and uh, and municipally. Uh, so what you do is you give me some money and you say, hey, here's some money. Go go get people on my side. So then I go with the money that you've given me uh, and I go get people on your side. At the end of the day, that is lobbying. It's a middleman, middle person, excuse me, uh, it, that goes about and ships the boat in a way that favors the person who's paying them to do the lobbying. Yep. And why is that important to understand when policy is being created? Um, two reasons. Um, that means that whoever has the most money has the most power, uh, theoretically speaking. Uh, obviously, like some, some stuff it doesn't work out so well for. But if you have the most money, you have the most power. Uh, and it also means um, that uh, a lot of grassroots uh, kind of things get squashed, meaning that uh, if someone is trying to start something uh, that doesn't have a lot of steam, but some big company sees that that's bad for us, they can very quickly take that down um, through smear campaigns uh, and maybe even just through straight payouts. Yep, exactly. And... Why you need to understand this is, once again, as I brought up before, um, this happens in both political parties all the time. Lobbying is nonstop happening in the United States. So when you see uh, conversations about like, oh, this is what the impact's going to be and like, this is all great. Um, a lot of politicians are spinning. They're spinning conversations to be able to get you on the side of a policy because they do need the voter to enact it in um, or they need enough people in Congress, your your representatives to be able to pass these policies and push them forward. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to understand what is being like, what information is giving uh, presented to you. Um, and for example, the reason I'm bringing this up is because sometimes policy happens too late. And that's because you have this lobbying happening behind the scenes that you want to prevent it. For example, um, conversations about climate change have existed for a while. Oil companies have known this for a long time, but they've lobbied. They put millions of dollars for the conversation not to exist. Even if they've known about it, they saw the science behind it. Um, it doesn't matter. They they pumped enough money in so that enough people in Congress, enough people in the Senate were talking that this doesn't exist. This is not a problem. And you mm -hmm. can directly see where the money flows, where the conversation goes, and where the policy is being created. The argument for, for example, energy companies is, is that if you regulate them too fast, and I do agree with this, if you do a really quick regulation to it, it does cause a negative uh, output on economy because there's a lot of people lose jobs, all these kinds of things. That does not mean that you cannot shift from one energy source to another one and regulate that with actually providing um, economic output. So for example, renewable energies could create a lot more jobs in the United States. And that's a whole conversation that should have a long debate to it. But you can see where the lobbying money is going from one side to the other based yeah. off who's arguing against the debate. And they're not talking about the impact. So once again, it's important if you're a business owner or you're a, a, an employee of a company, when you see a policy that has a direct impact to you, don't, don't listen to the politicians that are talking about it. My recommendation is try to understand like that information that that policy, what is the aim of it? Because a policy has to have a physical aim. What is the objective of it? And that's how you can actually determine if a policy is created that it works and it doesn't work. 
great example of this is Sarbanes-Oxley. I mean, this is what's talked about all the time in business school when you learn about public policy. So for those that don't know what Sarbanes-Oxley is, um, if you ever heard of this company called Enron, um, I hope nobody here is too, too, too young for Enron. But what happened with Enron is that there was no regulation when it came to um, your accounting books in the public trade. So what Enron did was they cooked their books and cooking your books means that you are, um, you know, changing negatives or you're losing money to positives. You're gaining money. You're you're changing your profits. You're changing the different angles um, and making it look like a more profitable company, even if you're actually losing money. Enron is a great case of this. They were losing money. They were cooking their books. They were doing a lot of unethical stuff, but there was no checks and balances in the free market to make sure that that actually like was not happening. So what happened was investors lost millions of dollars. It was fraudulent. Enron went bankrupt. Um, once again, investors lost money and they added something called Sarbanes-Oxley, which requires external CPAs to audit your company. Now we have auditing. So what you need to understand is regulation can sometimes create a brand new industry and create more economic output. So by this issue, yes, it caused more sunk costs to a business because you actually have to pay due diligence fees to have a CPA audit your company. And they have to check in all your books and make sure that you're you're legitimate and like you're not falsifying any data. However, that's what created all these consulting companies based off of auditing, auditing insurance, Deloitte's, you have your KPMGs. Um, that industry skyrocketed. So if you're an accountant, you should be thankful for this regulation called Sarbanes-Oxley because it actually created more job opportunities. That's the same thing that can exist when it comes to energy, can exist in other uh, avenues such as the gig economy as well. But you can't just look at policy as a regulation that is always a negative thing. It can cause a negative impact as well if it's done incorrectly. It can add additional costs that hurt the economy. But you have to learn about it. Don't just listen to somebody skewing like their viewpoint on it. Um, listen to both ideologies on each policy and understand why they're talking how they're talking um, about it. But do you have anything to like add on top of like lobbying or like how to how to um, understand what policies is being presented versus just hearing it from um, whatever your political beliefs are and just sticking to that? Because that's that's a dangerous area that I've seen the last four years has happened on both sides. That we're, we're so stuck on like oh, my party presented this so because of that i agree with it no matter what uh i mean the only thing i, I can say to that is just um you, there's a lot of ways you can get information nowadays um so do you do your due diligence and it, it's i feel like 90 percent of people just read the headline and yep. they go oh this is bad so i'm uh, oh okay it says it says vote no on prop 22 so obviously i'm gonna vote prop 22. Um, whereas if you look into it, look at what, like my, like with political ads, it's very easy to track the money because legally you have to disclose who is sponsoring this. Mm -hmm. Um, so you'll like, just think about it. like, like for, it doesn't, it doesn't take like a 200 IQ person to think like, okay, this ad that says do not vote for prop 22 is being paid by the people who prop 22 is going to affect why is that um i don't know it just it, look into it a little bit more don't mm -hmm. don't just don't just take it at face value because at the end of the day uh it, that more often than not just isn't going to work out at, at all i mean as as you can see i mean there's public policies is a big thing um unfortunately these past four years have been more negative public policy than there have been uh positive public policy um I mean, have there been any public any 
positive public policies that have come out in the in the last uh, four years. So this this is where you can I'll, think of. I'll, I'll I'll be the devil's advocate here because, like I said, we I want to be able to kind of present how 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 both ideologies work, right? So if if I'm a if I'm a liberal, I would say a liberal ideologies is what I my strong suit. I would definitely say no. If if I was focused on conservative ideologies, I would say yes because of the massive deregulation that's happened has tax left it, tax breaks, deregulation, opening up markets, uh, opening up that you can do drilling for oil in different areas, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, my argument, if I was a conservative, would say that in this case, it's creating more economic output because companies yeah. have more profits that they can pay more wages that they can hire more people and they can push it forward which if you look at statistics then i can argue that um the uh, average income per household has slightly gone up i can show you that unemployment has gone down but this is where i think it's interesting because and i know you're smiling if you have a whole, <laughs> oh, whole, whole debate based off of this but i think the important thing to think about here and this is where i i, I would uh I'm, I'm gonna try to attack myself in the same way is like okay yeah. and if you look at public policy like i said you have to have an aim to it and you can measure like the success of a public policy then you cannot tell me that policies passed by the obama administration did not also add on to the economic prosperity and the economy was already going through a right like a right trajectory path so this is where you have to be very objective of looking at things because yeah. sure i can say that this deregulation did create some more economic output but this disparity of who got that economic output clearly went to more wealthy individuals versus yeah. middle and lower class. Yes, your income might have grown, but the percentage of growth for you versus the percentage of growth of somebody who's making over $400,000 is also completely just bonkers. Um, but then when you look at, once again, Obama policy and all these kinds of things, it created a more sustainable economic output and now we've gone to more instability. But as for what I brought up before, if I was to argue to you, just so we can kind of have individuals understand how yeah. this discourse would go back and forth, um, which I recommend it's healthy to talk with understanding other ideologies. If I'm to tell you that this deregulation, these tax breaks, right, um, allowed for more money to move around, there's more liquidity, which created more job opportunities, more hiring opportunities, and, and increased the bottom of the barrel income, um, I would say that over the last four years, these conservative policies have helped. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, man, uh, hold on. I'm trying to trying to gather my my thoughts real quick. Okay, so I, I will start with saying this. Um, these. Uh, I'll start with Obama. So we'll go back here. Um, what the difference between the fact that the economy grew under Trump and the economy grew under Obama uh, is is it, it there's two sides to that coin right mm -hmm. obviously there was some stuff uh, some policy that Obama did that wasn't good and that's just that's you know let's call it what it is um and more more so on you know more foreign policy uh than anything yeah. his foreign policy was let's call it what it is was bad um yeah. where um but but domestically it wasn't always that bad um domestically you know and even some foreign stuff like you know like you got the paris climate agreement uh the iran nuclear deal um little things like that well not little things or huge things huge things like that very good very good public policy put foreign policy push that forward public policy here i mean you think about um 
the fact that I believe it was under Obama that, um, you know, equal marriage passed, all these sort of things uh, started happening. Uh, unfortunately, uh, also under Obama, fracking kind of became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's this, it's this hit and miss where like, you have good, you have bad, you have good, you have bad. Um, both are assisting the economy in, in a lot of different ways. Um, the exemption of um, uh, the exemption of religious freedom into businesses, I think, is another big one that happened uh, towards him. Meaning that your you as a business owner, your religious opinions cannot affect who you can and cannot serve because you are mm-hmm. a business, not a religious entity. Um, that's something I think is important that he passed. Um, but then you go towards uh, the Trump side. And everything that was passed, for the most part, um, was in was about getting rich people more money, getting them richer. Um, when you look at the economy uh, as a whole, when people say the economy has grown substantially under the Trump administration, um, uh, and you brought this up, look at who the money went to. The money did not go to the bottom 95% of the US. The money went to the top 10, the top 5% of, of, of the United States. Um, in the same way where if I'm sitting in my house right now, the minute that Bill Gates walks through my door, the average income of this household skyrockets mm-hmm. to some billions of dollars, million, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, if the richest people on earth got 67% richer, of course, the, the, uh, the economy has grown a substantial amount because yep. 67% growth for them, um, is billions of dollars uh elon musk went from being uh, i think he had like what was it like 60 billion dollars to his name which is still like like mind-blowing amount of money um 60 billion dollars to his name and now he has like 186 billion dollars to his name you know it's like you know he's the richest man in the world Mm-hmm. Um, all because for he's a, day, a memer. For a day, for a, for a day. For, yeah, all because he makes funny memes on Twitter and sells cars that uh, that go vroom. You know, it's like it, it, it. It's policy and these two different beliefs and all this. It's it's fine. It's dandy to have like different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to it, when it comes down to how Trumpism and, and all this stuff is kind of helped people out. There's nothing coming to the bottom at all. Like being real here, um, corporations, they, um, they still believe in Milton economics. Mm -hmm. They will forever believe in Milton economics until somebody comes in and puts regulations in place that show them that they need to care about people. Um, So before, before you continue, who, what is Milton Friedman's economics? Just so somebody can understand who's listening to what is Milton Friedman's approach to business? If I remember the sentence correctly verbatim, uh, it, it's a one sentence answer. Uh, if I can, I think it's something like the uh, the only outcome that the firm should focus on is the bottom line. Yeah, it's it. to increase profits. That's exactly. The, That's the, it. The only aim of a company is to increase profits. That is Milton Friedman's approach to economics. Correct. So you have you have these you have this output this this uh, this viewpoint. Excuse me, where it's like our only job as a business, especially as a public business, is to make uh, is to make our people more money. And they take they take that. They take this like weird fiduciary responsibility to the, the stakeholders and and all this. And they, they twist it in a way where it, it goes from like, oh, we got to make them more money to like, actually, how do we how do we how do we make the 
perception of making more money when in reality we're just putting more money in our pockets mm-hmm. um so the way that they do that and the way that they did that with the and like this is big time news and like but no one really cares <laughs> it's it, it's like when trump did the first tax breaks in like 2016 2018 whenever the hell he he did it yep um what happened did that money i'm asking you val did that money go towards um raises did that money go towards benefits i'm i'm giving multiple choice here we'll do we'll do some uh we'll do some ask a millionaire kind of style here did it a go did did the millions of dollars that these corporations were now given for free um by lowering their taxes did they go towards a giving their employees more benefits b raising the wages of the employees c making the work uh the workplace safer or d uh buybacks the answer is uh 90% went to buybacks and yeah. sl- about 10% went for slight bonuses or surplus to just make people happy it was kind of a a proof of oh, concept. You're talking about, so you're talking about the uh, the Amazon bonuses that, that they gave well, out? Not only the Amazon bonuses, but like I, I do know some companies that did r- raise wages and did hire some people, but the percentage of those companies is minute compared to the companies that did stock buybacks. And just to explain to people what stock buybacks are, because a lot of people think that your stock market is your economy, which is the worst yeah, assumption dude. in the world. Robin so Hood to- <laughs> has ruined the United States economy. So what happens when it comes to the stock market, stock market is based on speculation of where the economy is going. Obviously, there's a lot of optimism still, um, like yeah. the stock market didn't crash even during COVID, meaning that investors believe in the long-term longevity of the United States, which is what creates bubbles. And that's how 2008 happened, 2001 happened, all these kind of you know st- stock market crashes. But aside from the point, what stock buybacks are is let's say that I'm the owner of a business and um, I'm an IPO'd company, I have shareholders. In order to make my shareholders happy and buy more shares from me, what I can do is buy back shares from the stock market. What that does is there's less supply of stock. The less supply of stock means that stock price goes up. Airlines are notorious for this. They did so many stock buybacks. And guess who was the first industry to get bailed out the second COVID hit? It was the airline industry. The reason I'm bringing this up is because the policy, once again, there's an aim. If the objective of that tax act was to get money to workers, because that was the argument for it, it's going to give more prosperity to everybody. It's more people trickle are going to get wage, economics, baby. trickle down economics. You're going to get in wage increases. You're going to get um, your disposable income will increase all these factors. And that's where the aim of the money was supposed to go. But it went to stock buybacks, which then increased stock your the stock market, which to tr- Trumpist arguments is that, well, it's going to help your 401k, which once again, majority only 55% of individuals in the United States have a 401k invest into the stock market. So the 45% never got any benefits from those stock buybacks and what the increase in the stock market was. And then as COVID hit, that's where the money went. So we had a deficit because of this, because there's less money going into our economy, which there's less money being able to go into stimulus, supporting small businesses, PPP loans, all these things. Once again, understand what public policy does because there's a long-term impact to it. And if you don't understand it correctly, this is the case. And I'll talk about negative and positive externalities in a second too, because I want to talk about how, um, your education, like how tuition goes up in a second, because that's directly yeah. tied into uh, policy as well. Val, can I just can I just commend you for a second? Because not I mean, I, I, I want to I want to say this because 
I think to to the everyday watcher, like if you don't know Val or you don't watch us regularly, and um, what's happening here is Val very very bravely um, has taken on the role of a uh, of the uh, devil's advocate, um, whereas I I am free to flow my thoughts around and and just talk off of a off the heart. Um, so thank you, Val, for for playing devil's advocate here. Um, it's your uh yeah man i i think like let's let's call it what it is at this point it's you know trump can we call it trumponomics is that a thing yet is that a, trumponomics is, that a is going to be a thing i guarantee you it's gonna be written in textbooks in the next five years yeah so i mean this whole like trumponomics thing it's the whole point of it was just to make his friends richer make himself richer um get money that's it <sighs> And, and and it's it's sad. I mean, when all the public all the public policy goes towards a group of individuals, mm-hmm. um, you gotta kind of like you gotta look at it and and just kind of not even shake your head, but just get angry. And it's that's one thing here. And, and I mean, Val, you and I come from a from a, a a group that can see things from two different cultures' perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you being Finland, me being Mexico. Like there, we have those two viewpoints in the back of our minds always. How would, how would this ha- work in X country, you know? Um, like, how do you think this would blow over in Finland if, if the policy that is happening right now um, started happening in, in Finland? Like if policymakers, yeah, you're, are you prime minister or president in Finland? Um, we, we do have a president and then we also okay. have a prime minister, but president's the one who makes the policy. Okay. Okay. Um, so if the president started pushing towards these kind of, these, these things in, in your, in your, in that country, in Finland, how, how would it go? Um, it would go awful. Oh, first reason why it would go awful is because we actually have a, a, over eight political parties. Um, so we have discourse and debate. Yeah, about, yeah we and, yeah. and we have, but the thing is we have, we have multiple political parties. So we actually have conversations about every single thing and, and what the bottom line impact is. Um, and this goes into ideology change in, in, uh, Finland, um, the focus it's, it's, a it's a socialist democracy. What that means is that it's an open economy. It's, it's a, it's a completely free market. But there are certain things that are are regulated by the government as they see like healthcare, education are overseen and the government needs to regulate that. Um, so every decision they make is how does it help the uh, the bottom barrel of individuals? And that's why taxes is so high in, in Finland. Um, does not mean that you can't be rich in Finland. There are millionaires in Finland that exist, but there's less of them. But the majority of individuals all succeed. And that those policies that are getting passed here, it would not work because of how democracy works in Finland. You would get too many people to push back on trying to help a small majority. Um, and since there's multiple political parties con- 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 like talking about it, there's not that asymmetrical uh, information that I was talking about before. The individuals are educated enough to understand what the policy is about to be passed. So they would push back on it and they make sure that the representatives also supported their interests, not just the interest of a small amount. And obviously the reason why that works well is Finland only has what, 5.8 million people. So like, let's let's be real here. It's it's smaller than California when it comes to population size. United yeah. States, we have 350 million plus people. So it's, it's a little more complicated when it comes to voting, decision-making, all these factors. And I, I 100% 
think that what works in Finland will never work in the United States. That being said, as you notice in, in Finland, by having multiple different political parties and by the conversations of representatives representing the individual and having, they don't have lobbying, they have very transparent approaches to how policies are getting created and what the impact's going to be on people. They're more willing to pass things that benefit the mass majority versus those that pass for the few. So to your question, to simple it down, if you were trying to push these policies in Finland, um, the voters would push back and they would not allow it to happen and it would never pass. Um, but in the United States, asymmetrical information, those things pass, even if it's not in your best interest, you vote because of your political party, not because of what the impact's going to be on the policy. Yeah, one thing that always strikes me is whenever... Um... It, and it's like, especially in, in European countries, whenever you, and, and this is going to segue into your little topic here, but um, when tuition goes up in European countries for university or uni, as they say, <laughs> the uni. Um, yeah, at uni, there is riots in the streets when tuition goes up because that's, that's a real thing. Like the, the fact that that's money that's now going to these people, mm -hmm. um, is going out of these people's pockets, monies that they have to either repay or now have to come up with in order to get a college education. Um, what happens here when tuition goes up is we go, oh shit, now I got to pull up more loans. Like that's it. That's all that happens here. Um, and and, and I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what your kind of stance on tuition uh, in the university systems uh, and just California and public policy and how it kind of all relates to each other and how it kind of coincides with Trump and his policies and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. So one interesting thing uh, when it comes to how like Finland works, because a lot of uh, those are school teachers understand education. They all they actually reference Finland a lot. Um, so one thing that I guess I can always plug for Finland is like we're number one in education. But there's a lot of misconceptions about like how um, higher levels of education work in Finland, for example. So education for everybody is free all the way to this point, which is kind of like a little bit past high school and you're like, let's say it's kind of like a community college level of education. That's all free. Um, you can study to your heart's delight. Um, you can learn all that information. The difference in, in Finland is because since they're working on creating economic just, uh, prosperity for as many people, the percentage that actually go into high levels of education, universities, or get their master's degree is very small amount. Reasoning for that is hyper-competitive. It's free for you, but it needs to be the right pathway for you. Uh, a formal education is not intended for every single person. Not everybody needs to go to a high level at college. And we talked about this multiple times on the show. There's trade schools. There's other routes that you can take to create value into a market. In Finland, they focus on trade schools. So if you can't make it into, let's say, that you, you're not going to become um, focused on university education, get your master's degree and all these kinds of things, you can go in trade school and learn construction. Um, and that's why Finland, we, we create majority of the cruise ships in the world. Uh, because we have master builders and, and that's a very good route for for uh, prosperity because of that if education is your route you do not have to pay and if you have to take money out of your pocket they only let you i believe the the cap that they allow you to take out loans is like fifteen thousand dollars or fifteen thousand euros and on top of that the interest rate is less than a percentage now let's look at the u.s education system here so many people are going to college it's 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 like you have to go to college. You have, to. Kind of you have to. You have to go to college, or you're not going to get a job. It's hey, the pros that people. Can I just bring up real quick? Is it Finland where if you get your PhD, you get a sword? Yeah, and top hat. Hell yeah, dude! Are you going to go back I'll, to Finland I'll, and get your PhD? 
Honestly, I'll probably do a PhD in blockchain in, in, in Finland. I think that might be the goal. I'll just go, go to their tech. Go industry. back, man. Hell, that's that's just fucking rad. You get a you get an actual sword and a top hat. Get out of here. The, the, all you get all you get in the U.S. is just depression and a bigger diploma. That's it. Exactly, and, and a bunch of student debt. Yeah. Uh, but like then then put into reference mind here in the United States because of public policy. So, um. The way that the U.S. works is like we we created this UC system and the UC is a good example of it because it's because of public policy. We're like, okay, let's have a public education system that has more access to it. Um, it's, it's government funded, subsidized, and we're going to control it. Well, the issue with that happened was that everybody's like, I need to go to college. So as your, like, your demand increases, the cost associated has to increase. That's how U.S. politics are created. And what that does is that even though your value of your education is devalued over time, the cost of attending that university goes up over time. So as, as we're going by your four-year education, every single year is increasing in cost because less people are going to trade schools there. We actually have a, we need more people that are electricians, more people that are plumbers, more people in construction. These are things that we need in our economy, but the way that the U.S. is set up is like, no, go to college, go go to the four year university. And that's your route to succeed, which is why tech companies are now removing that barrier. They're like, I don't care. Just learn how to code and come work for us. I don't care if you have a four year degree or not. Well, because of that, what happens is our cost of tuition increases year after year. And there's no policy that's trying to change that. So that's why, like every year, there's a tuition hike uh, pretty much. And your interest rate, this is the part of the United States that doesn't make sense to me. Um, your interest on your student loans is usually between 5.6% and almost at 7%, meaning that if you cannot pay your, your student loans uh, as you increase, I think the lowest you can have is like 3.3%, which is still insane. You have your principal, which is let's say that you're in debt by $50,000. Your principal is that set amount, but you have an interest that grows on it. So even if you paid off, let's say $5,000, now $45,000, you have an interest that you pay another 3% on. And if you can't like cover that interest in the payment cycle, you literally never can pay off your debt. And then in the United States, mm -hmm. student loans is one of the only things that you cannot write off with a bankruptcy. So even if you lose Sally May baby, if you lose all your money, you still cannot pay off your student loans. Once again, there's policy behind that. And what happened in the Trump administration as well as Betsy DeVos changed it so that if you if you default on your loans, they will transfer your loans from a student loan organization because they don't have enough institutions that focus on this to pretty much like a loan shark that will literally nonstop call you, annoy you until you start paying off your loans. And that's over time. And it's created this massive debt bubble because of public policy um, that hurts the U.S. economy in the long term effect. We still haven't felt it today. Like it's it's getting worse year after year. But there'll be a point when this bubble will pop. Um, and once again, the way that Finland makes it is that you go to college, it's hyper competitive. But if you make it that route, you don't have that much to pay back. You, 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 the economic output for the economy, they already see that you have social value, value there. So why, why make you super indebted to it? And then they push everybody else to trade schools and, and get other gigs and, and make sure that the economy keeps functioning. And the United States is, okay, everybody get, this is the route you have to take. Go to college, take yeah. out debt. Uh, and then push forward. And then I always hear this conversation from people. It's like, well, education is so accessible in the United States. Why doesn't everybody get it? Why are you working? Like when we talked about McDonald's jobs and all these kinds of things. Well, because if that debt is over exceeding what value you get out of that college education, then you never pay back and you actually will hurt generations of wealth for your own family. And that all happened because of public policy. 
So that's why the more you understand it, the more you can vote for the right policies and the more you can push back on your representatives to help it out. I think student debt, like once again, bringing that up, is one of the biggest crises we're going to have to deal with in the next decade. And if they don't figure that out, it's going to implode on us because if debt keeps increasing on students and we're not making as much money from jobs, um, that that system just doesn't make sense. Like there's eventually going to be a collapse to that. Uh, more people are going to be defaulting than paying. Um, and then what do we do? Um, and then universities right now, because of COVID also, like they call it University of Zoom for a reason. We're all on Zoom. So what is the point of a four-year degree if you can do the same thing on Coursera, if you can do the yep. same thing from going to a boot camp? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of redefining and changing in markets. And this is why I like free markets, though, because by having a free market, the university system might not be the best route, and they can create supplements or new solutions to change it. And ed tech is going to be massive, massive industry in the next 10 years. Yeah, I am. Um... I, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm on the side of the cancel federal student debt. Obviously you can't cancel private student debt and that's mm -hmm. unfortunate, um, but all of federal student debt, which is majority of the bubble that we have, um, cancel that shiz immediately. The minute that, you know, and I hope, <sighs> I don't want to take the, the nihilist pill before the Biden administration starts, but mm. These, these next two years that we have the House, the Senate, and the presidency um, are going to be uh, are going to be big time for any kind of policy that that uh, that we want to get past. We being uh, Democrats and progressives and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and just to kind of touch on, on on your point here, so I'm looking at um, I'm looking at a uh, little, little deep dive into student debt here. Bell, I'm sure you have an Excel sheet as well of yours. Um, <laughs> we're looking i'm looking at student debt right here so interest rate is 4.52 percent minimum payment is 255 dollars and the interest per month is 231 dollars and 74 cents meaning that the only principal being paid there is about what would that be 20 22 dollars 23 dollars and change so it's like so every every month you're all, I'm, you're, we're only paying $23 a month into this $60,000 of student debt, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, uh, how long do you think uh, it, it would take to pay off, uh, 60 grand, uh, by chipping away at it with 22 bucks, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, it, it, it's going to take a while. And, uh, one policy that did get passed once again, going into public policy that was passed by the Obama administration is a, a PAYE, which is pay as urine. Um, yeah. and that honestly was a great policy because they did have a, uh, income based uh, approach before, but it was really bad because your interest rate would just keep growing and literally would just be in debt by millions of dollars, like not millions, but hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you mm -hmm. could actually pay it off. Pay as you earn, the way that it works is that they take 10% of discretional income based off the difference of your, um, whatever the poverty line is in your local market and how much you're making, that that difference is what they start basing off the 10% uh, margin off of. Let's say that 20, like in Riverside County, I believe it's like 21,500 or 22,000 is the, the poverty line. Um, and let's say you're making 30,000. So out of that $8,000, you take 10% of it. Um, and that is gonna be your, your uh, yearly pay for your student loans that you have to start paying off. And that for me is a good approach because what that does at least kind of pushes down the pressure of like, look, if I'm not making this crazy good job, 
at least I don't feel super pressured on my student loans. I don't have disposable income, which then you can finance into other things. Because the one conversation a lot of conservatives is like, well, you can make generational wealth by investing in the stock market, passive incomes, all these things. I agree with it, but it doesn't work if you literally have no disposable income to put into the stock markets, to put into these yeah. other activities. Um, and it pushes down. And there's been multiple studies that financial distress causes your psychology to make it so you're actually less productive. So if you're worrying yeah. about finances all the time, you actually are less productive at work. You're less able to do your your normal duties, um, which then once again hinders on your long-term growth. So there's a lot of these factors that like, you just yeah. eliminate that, that, that pressure on the individual, the actual United States output increases, which is... And fantastic <laughs> it, it goes back to my boy maslow you know the hierarchy of needs that that is there <clears throat> it's there for a reason man you know you have you know, i'm a let me let me pull up maslow's hierarchy of need all right let's take a take a look here at, at what we got i mean and where, where we really sit here you know psychological needs air water food shelter but okay got it uh safety needs personal security, employment resources. Well, like that's it. That's bam. Two, like two steps <laughs> up. That's, that's where you get, that's where you get slapped. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, if you're two steps up to a five-step pyramid it, and, and you, and your brain can't, it is too stressed out to look into, you know, to get friendships, to get self-esteem, to get self-enlightenment, all these other steps that kind of, that kind of go beyond it. Um, you're going to be in this constant state of just like stress why do you think depression why do you think anxiety is through the roof because the generation that we have unfortunately uh it, it is just being straddled uh with tons of debt and a lot of economic instability there have now been um in just our generation there have been three uh dips in the economy there was uh 2000 there was 2008 and now there was 2020 three whereas you know people who were baby boomers, they didn't experience any, uh, maybe the dot-com bust, but like that was like only if you were in the tech industry, you really got affected by that, you know? Um, and that was a very, that was a very centralized bubble that only affected that specific industry. Mm -hmm. Whereas these big ones, the 2000, um, the 2000 bust, uh, the, um, uh, the 2008, the housing bubble, and then uh, this, uh, the pandemic, it, it affects all the economy, every single aspect of it. There wasn't one part of it that wasn't touched. Um, and, and, I, and I think these kind of things put you in a perspective where it's just like, well, shit, like, are, is there ever going to be a point where we're going to get a break? And and I think that all, that break comes through public policy. We have to cancel student debt. That's not a radical idea. If If we can bail out the banks, if we can bail out the airline industries, um, all in a 12-year sprint, mm -hmm. trillions of dollars, literal trillions. If we can, if we can spend that amount of money on private companies, why can't we spend that amount of money on public citizens? And like the proof's in the pudding, dude. Like it's every any ask any economist, even conservative economists will tell you that paying off the student debt, the federal student debt, will grow the economy because yep. that just puts more money in people's pockets. You know, it's it, some people pay like eight hundred dollars a month yep. it, with with student debt. You know, it's like what could what could you do with eight hundred dollars a month? 
Put that in the savings account for a year. Guess how much money you have now. That that's like you know put and then you can go and buy stuff. You you can just say screw it. Eight hundred bucks a year, Brad. I'm gonna buy a PS5 every month. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's these things that like you know you have you help the bottom, and that builds up the top. It, yeah. In, in, yeah. It's I, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean the one thing I bring up there, like as you brought up, is like if you have more disposable income, and I think the interesting argument I always hear a lot of times on on the conservative lens is going to be, okay, well people spend the money on stupid things. You get them a additional eight hundred dollars, and they're going to spend it on a PS Five or whatever, and they're not going to pay it on their rent or their food and all these kinds of things. Well, once again, it goes into uh, the hierarchy pyramid of what your needs are. You will invest into those things first, and sure, there's a small percentage of individuals that will always buy stupid stuff. You can't you can't define that. However. If you're also a conservative, you think that the free market does benefit people. So by putting money into people's hands, by them spending it into the market, them spending it on the PS5, them spending it on random stupid things. Well, it also doesn't grow. It grows the economy because the money comes right back in, which it cycles it around. So um, it's been really interesting here, like the stimulus talks and all these conversations, because I hear a, a lot of times fiscal conservative individuals are talking about, okay, we don't want our debt to increase. Well, our debt has drastically increased because of the tax cuts. And now you're yes, saying we're, we're in a stupid deficit right now because of the, de- the tax cuts. Exactly. And a lot of individuals don't know your taxes will go up this year. Um, it will go up this year for the next three years. And that's how the, the Trump tax act was created in a way they did that it on purpose. You, yeah, you benefited the first year. Um, you, you, your first two years benefited from the taxes. And then as time goes by, you have to increase in taxes because otherwise the deficit would keep increasing. They know that they're not they're not completely dumb. They just were really good at hiding that. Um, and your taxes will go up. Um, so always keep that in mind is once again, going to policy, you have to understand what is the aspect of that policy? What is the impact going to be on you as even a business owner? So small business owners that, yeah, great. Like your taxes have gone down and sure you might have more disposable income that way. Well, tell me how during COVID-19, why is it that one in every three small businesses has gone bankrupt? It's almost one in two. It's almost 50% at this point. Why is it that that high of a number have gone bankrupt while large corporations have not if these policies that have been passed in the free markets are able to control it, right? So yeah, the, these impacts on, on, on stimulation, on like your financial freedom and all these aspects needs to be pushed towards the economy. And- there is the other ideology and sure you can believe in like if you push it back or trickle down but then you have to look at data and that that's where i think it's very important on policy debates look at the objective lens on it you can believe in whatever you want to believe but make sure that you have what is what are you tracking how are you tracking the success of a policy because if you're tracking it based off of i think it works it works in theory well that's that's not good enough for individuals um and that that's unfortunately a lot of the policy making that has been happening lately um, and, and hopefully that conversation changes, but it only really comes from more educated voters, more individuals understanding what these policies are, pushing back on it um, so that you can create that economic uh, output uh, backwards. But yeah, I mean, like you should really care about these things. And I, I personally didn't care about public policy and so, until I started like learning about it and then I, started, I learned the impact of it. And then when I started teaching it, I started really understanding the different lenses. Like, yeah, there's sometimes when free markets does work. Um, but there's also a lot of times when it doesn't. And if yeah. you think that one solution works over the other, um, that's a very subjective lens to the appeal. And the one thing I, I wanna kind of close out this conversation on is how public policy is gonna change as technology changes markets. 
because I think the one part where a lot of fiscal conservative individuals that think the free markets will be able to solve these problems don't really understand how fast technology is moving and displacing workers. So if you think that free markets, okay, the markets are free and an economy will grow and all these kinds of things. Well, that is true. But if automation comes into place, well, those that work in the massive markets like retail, they work in transportation, automation can do those tasks. It's a displacement of workers at such a large scale that that displacement cannot be subseded by just saying that, okay, relearn and learn code or learn all these other things and go into these other markets. You're going to push the downturn on the lower half of the economy, the the employers will benefit, but the employees will have a massive downturn very quickly because of automation. Did you watch the Boston Dynamic video of them dancing mm -hmm. to the Christmas music? My D, can you imagine how much saliva was just falling out of Jeff Bezos's mouth watching that video? Like, just like the idea of him being like, oh, you mean I don't have to like, pay hourly wages anymore you mean i don't have if someone gets sick I, I don't have to pay for them to lie in bed with a fever um you know like all these things like how look public policy it's it's slow because it's bureaucratic by nature it's slow um but technology is very fast i give it five years at most before you have a few specialty people in an Amazon warehouse, like looking at some stuff, uh, just surrounded by Boston dynamic bipedal and like spot robots, you know, it's like, it's if look, look at where spot and where, I don't know what they're, what the name of the one that stands up on two feet is. I just call it the bipedal robot. Cause it's quick mm. and easy. Um, you look at, you look at these, <laughs> you look at these, uh at these two things look five years ago where they were you know we had that funny video of like spot it was all massive and bulky and it was like running like kind of fast but it was still kind of clumsy and mm. then you have that that robot that still needed to be uh connected to a, 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 a wire on the roof in order for it to stand up straight now the thing is doing backflips it's doing mm -hmm. parkour it's standing up on one leg it's being it's balancing you have these robots that um can do everything that a person can do when it comes down to them standing in one spot and being just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, auto industry. What happened to Detroit? People say, oh, one of America's greatest cities gone to waste. Um, yeah, that happened because of public policy. Public mm -hmm. policy allowed people to get replaced by robots without any consequences to the auto manufacturers. Um, um, same thing, if you think for a, a nanosecond, that it's not the same exact thing is not going to happen to San Bernardino and the San Bernardino County, you are out of your mind. Right now, people are like, oh, this is, you know, yeah, San Bernardino County and all of them are just like, let them in, let them in. Oh, Amazon, come build more warehouses. You can do your warehouse here. Target, bam, JCPenney, Walmart. here, Walmart, here. Uh, who else is here? Uh, yeah, Target, Walmart, Amazon, JCPenney. PepsiCo um, is here. Hyundai is here. Um, you, uh, all of them damn near every big company that needs a warehouse space and automated space is here in, in San Bernardino, in San Bernardino County or, um, or, County. or, or Riverside County, the surrounding yeah. counties. Um, if like what happened, if you think that it is bad now that the wage disparity, that all these kind of things are bad for a while, Detroit was a really nice place to live. It was a really, really good place. Detroit, Flint, Michigan, all these mm -hmm. places, 
it was destinations. You lived there because you had a good job at the auto factory. People here in the county, you have people who live in the surrounding cities to San Bernardino who have make a good wage as a manager at Amazon Warehouse, as uh, doing X, Y, or Z at, at all these different warehouses. They're making good money. Um, it is not going to last forever. And when it is gone, your San Bernardino County, Riverside County, if if they don't invest in other industries besides um, the supply chain, they're gonna look just like Detroit. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's something that like I'm sure people are thinking about it, but I'm sure it's back of mind, uh, out of sight, out of out of out of mind kind of thing, where it's just like, oh, you know, it's it, it's good now, so why worry about this now? If the policy isn't in place, it's gonna happen, and it's gonna be really really bad. Um, and this is you, hey, you, you, people are like, oh. People are like, hey, oh man, San, San Bernardino is such a scary place to live. Oh, top, number number three in, in the world, in the U.S. for crime. Lots of homicides here. It, it's bad now. Give it five years. Give it 10 years. Mm-hmm. When it, What is it going to look like then when now you have more people who no longer have a job, you know, who and maybe who do not have somewhere else to go? Okay. Um, you know, it, it's, it is something that needs to, public policy is really important. And smart public policy that that follows technology isn't lagging behind it, but follows technology and the growth that it's going towards is something that needs to happen. We should not be using um, rules and regulations that were made for telecom companies to public to to help policies for Facebook, for Instagram, for Twitter, for YouTube, for all these things. We're I'm not, dude. I I don't I if back in those days. If I picked up the phone, my internet would go out. Nowadays, I have a fiber line to my house. You know, it's like there's it. It's night and day difference. Um, <laughs> uh, it's night and day difference, and it's it is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be like the robots are coming. Put on the tinfoil hats. Like it's it's happening. Everybody, get your guns ready. Like all this, all that. But like, um, it's happened once. It's gonna keep happening because if. Uh, the company's only goal is uh, money. Then robots are cheaper always and forever. Yep, and I and and it comes from like as you brought up. I I hear that a lot when I, I talk with individuals, and I I know I'm very futurist because I I see how this tech I'm I'm involved in all the time, and I can I, I already know where like supply chain automation I've helped supply chain automation companies before. I see what they're investing into. I see I see these market changing, and the cautionary tale I always bring tell people is like yeah sure right now it's not a problem, but once you realize it's a problem, it's already too late. And that's exactly why like uh, the whole Yang Gang situation with the whole UBI and all these kinds of things. Sure, it might be a little too early for a conversation on you, uh, like to ha- implement UBI, but I do not think it's too early to have conversations about it. Conversations are healthy. Um, it allows for debate and discourse and see where things should go and how they can move. Um, but I mean, overall, it's important to understand how these public policies are being created. As we brought up multiple times, there's there's different types of public policies. You can have conservative liberal ideologies in them. Um, and then we also talked about like asymmetrical information, lobbying, how that impacts you. Um, so definitely do your due diligence when policies are going to get passed. Don't just look at advertisements and expect that as it is and, and study research. That's why we want to talk about technology on the show. That's why I want to talk about how to build businesses and, and create prosperity uh, on the show as well. Um, but overall, I think this was a really good conversation on public policy. I hope those that were listening in today can definitely uh, uh, understand where we're getting at uh, when it comes to this conversation and why we wanted to bring it up as we as we start 2021. Um, 
But one thing that we're going to be starting to do uh, for these shows, anybody who is listening in, is we're going to start doing uh, gaming sessions in the evenings. Um, so if anybody who is listening to the show wants to play uh, Warzone or any other game with us later later tonight, uh, we will be streaming as well. Uh, join we'll the Discord. Starting... That's that's how we do it. Yeah, join the Discord. Uh, join the conversations. We'll we'll be happy to get more Warzone dubs with anybody else. Uh, next week, I'm working on getting a guest um, that is focusing on the esports industry. He's making a hardware tech company. Um, that I'm working on some projects with him, so I'll probably have him as our guest for next week. So definitely stay tuned for that if you enjoy the esports industry or want to understand how hardware tech companies are being created, as it's a it's a very expensive uh, venture creation. I know personally. Um, and, uh, from there, I don't know, Luis, do you have any final thoughts you want to share for our audience today? I'm just, uh, I just, uh, mashed the discord into the, uh, into the old thing there. So yeah, join the discord. Um, and, uh, if you want to play some, some video games with us later on, that would be lovely. Yep. Absolutely. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> um, appreciate you, uh, tuning into the show for today um i hope you enjoyed our show um yeah. stay tuned uh follow our socials this is the cue for uh the the hand of god behind the camera to just uh the voice start of talking. god in the camera to, to start talking and putting all the the good stuff behind and then um we'll, we'll definitely close it out for today uh, appreciate everybody tuning in and uh we're excited for 2021 and a lot of things ahead um I think yeah, that's hey, it. Nick, Nick, are you there? Can you can you talk to us? Talk. Just do a quick voice of God from the back. Hello. There, there he is. There, there I he is. No, I actually just realized I don't even have a uh, <clears throat> an outro slide, so we're just gonna have to just cut it. <laughs> cool. I mean, that's the way to start 2021. That's already how this year is going. So a hard uh, a hard <laughs> cut is a good way to do it. Um. Well, thank you, thank you, Nick. Uh, yep. go ahead and go ahead and give it give it to us the hard way out, huh? Thank you for tuning into The Brew. I hope you enjoyed this episode and tell us what you thought about our conversation in the comments below. If you guys like our content, make sure to follow us on our various social media platforms and we will see you all next time.